I think I'm ready to use this microphone. <laughs> you got my, oh yeah, here I am. I got to bring a cough drop in my coffee because my voice is really struggling. Like I came in here last night and started singing and thought I was going to lose it. This morning at warm up, I thought I was going to lose my voice. But the Lord's helping me. And so that's awesome. My name is Brian. I need to tell you that because I'm not wearing one of those lanyards, you know, like all the other cool people in the room. <clears throat> I don't wear that thing while I play keyboard because sometimes I get crazy and that thing, I'll end up getting it twisted up in my fingers and arms and it's not going to be a pretty sound when after that happens, you know, I'm not playing the right notes. <laughs> um, and that's actually really happened before. Been in places where I've had to wear a lanyard and play the keyboard and that thing flops all over the place. It just doesn't work with a keyboard player. <laughs> so anyway, I'm Brian. Oh, and uh, I'm the worship pastor here at King's Church, and I just want to say it's so good to see you today, really. And I'm not saying that like to say it, you know, it's not in my notes, you know, I really mean that. Um, I, I'm, uh, I don't know if Chuck is or if I am the most people person on our staff. I'm not entirely sure. We know Brad's not. We know Brad's not. Um, he likes to leave here and go home and um, retreat, right? You know, and that's cool. That's awesome. Me, I, mean, I end up doing that, and I need that later, but when I'm here, I get frustrated. I get stuck on the stage because I want to get out here and do my life with you guys, you know? This is where I want to be, really, out here, right? By the way, I didn't get to see you guys this morning when you came in. I'm Brian. So good to see you. This is also not in my notes, okay? <laughs> Just want you to know that. Aaron, <laughs> I better get back up here before I get in trouble. Um. I think they're live streaming this. <laughs> I don't know if they are, but if they are, welcome to everybody out in internet land. All right. So, um, man, I, it's been a while since I preached, but I love to preach. And um, the Lord is, is, um, spoke this message uh, to me multiple times uh, to me over the years um, from the book of Ruth. And uh, Ruth has just become one of my absolute favorite books in the Bible. I love it. Um, how many have read Ruth? Okay, well, all right. Well, then I don't have to. No, I'm teasing. Um, how many have been impacted by the message of Ruth? <laughs> right? Oh, my goodness. Um, I know... I have. I've, I, I, I grew up in a, a Christian family, but there were, there were days when I ran from the Lord and I needed to be redeemed. And, um, and so uh, the Lord spoke these uh, kind, kind words to me. You know, he's always kind when he speaks. Uh, when you're out and wondering, uh, you don't even just have to be lost away from God, walking up away from God. You could just be in a place in your life where you don't feel like God is close. You feel like everything in your life is going wrong, that God is silent. He's not speaking or moving. God is not protecting you from, from uh, the harmful nature of gossip, maybe, or maybe God's not providing for you financially or providing the things that you feel like you need, and you feel like God is really far away from you and uh and this is for you today too because we're going to look at a story of of a lady um named Naomi who lost it all and the story of how God redeems 
her and her joy in him. And so, um, so Jesus, you got to help me uh, today to, uh, to give the, my best, to give my best to your word. Would you speak through me? Um, speak to me. And uh, may we be challenged to um, have our faith in the God who is faithful. Help us to be inspired by what you have done in past, what you are doing now, and what you've promised to continue to be because your nature is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so we want to be uh, renewed today by the remembrance that you have not changed, that you are faithful, and you are a redeeming God. We love you for that. In your name, amen. Hey, I want to give you a, a, just a little bit of context because when I took um, the uh, Strength Finders test, my number one strength was context. Uh, but context doesn't have to be boring, okay? So I don't want to bore you with the context, but I need it to understand Ruth. I really, really need it to understand Ruth because there's some really strange, couple strange things in Ruth. Like, you know, when I may do a business deal, I don't take off my shoe and hand it to a guy, you know? Buying a house, I'm at the bank signing the papers, I don't take my shoe off and hand it to the guy, right? But you find that in the book of Ruth. I mean, that's a weird cultural thing back then. There's, if you don't have a context, you don't know what they're doing and why they're doing that. And I mean, that's kind of weird. Uh, you know, I, 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 you know when, uh, when, when Heather wanted to, to let me know that she was interested in me back in Bible college, you know, she didn't come inside the guy, she didn't sneak inside the guy's dorm and uncover my feet. She, for sure, at Kentucky Mountain Bible College, you would have never gotten away with that. <laughs> she didn't go in, sneak in my, the, the guy's door, uncover my feet, and then just lay there until I woke up. My feet were cold, you know. She didn't do that. That's a really weird cultural thing that happened back then. So I need a context for some of this stuff because I don't understand it unless I can kind of understand what's going on in this culture. And, and then what's going on in, in, uh, in history because God is moving in history, right? He has a purpose in history. He didn't just create this thing and hope that it ends up where it needs to be, right? Okay, you guys understand that? He's got a purpose in this he created it all and it's linear it's going he's got a purpose he's everything that happens he's he is sovereign over all that stuff right he is moving and putting putting the people and the places situations together whether it makes sense to us or not whether it includes us as individuals or not because somebody it looks like oh Moses got used by God but the other Levite that's real in the background, it doesn't get used maybe as much as, as Moses, right? That's what I'm trying to say. Like, whether you get used in a big way or whether you get used in what you think is an insignificant way, God is moving history to an end point. And it's going to result in the redemption of all things, right? I mean, he is. He's going to, get received, he's going to receive all the glory and honor at the end of this thing. And we're going to, we're going to be a part of that if we... If we belong to him. So, this isn't just 
cyclical. Now, now you understand that the book of Ruth comes right after the book of Judges in the Bible, right? If you look in your Bible, it'll come right after. But did you know, like in the Hebrew, you know, Bible, it's all one book. Judges and Ruth is all the same book. You guys, I don't know if you knew that. The same book. It's one book. And we have the story of, uh, if you add up all the, 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 what we call judges, they're not really judging, not judging Israel. They're actually just like little saviors. They go in and save the day, you know. And, and uh, you have this cycle where, where uh, after Joshua, there's no successor, and, and God still has the same expectation to go and take over the land that he gave him, that, that, that they gave his people, that he promised Abraham. Right, And God is fulfilling that promise after hundreds of years. He's still faithful and he's fulfilling that promise. And Joshua leads them in and Joshua says, you got to continue to follow what God wants you to do. Claim the gift he's given you. Take the land. And they dilly-dally around. They don't obey God fully. They don't commit themselves fully to God. And they have lots of problems because of that. And they have these cycles over and over and over again. So they, they forget God or, or they sin, and then God allows a foreign uh, nation or tribe or whatever uh, to, um, to come and, and take over them or to, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying that right, but uh, they'd have to either pay tribute or whatever, and they would be oppressed by them. And then the people would get sick of it after a while and they would say, you know what? God has better things for us. We, we remember God now. And so we want to pray and ask God to deliver us. And God would send someone to deliver them, like a little savior, like a, another Joshua, another Moses, you know, to deliver them. And, and that would happen. If you add up all the years of all of the, the time that the judges uh, delivered them and, and uh, they had peace, there was like 400 years. But the book of Judges is actually a period of 200 years. So what we, what we find out is that actually the Judges aren't really saving the whole nation. It's a nation of tribes, 12 tribes that have taken land, right, all over. And if you know the geography of Israel, you know, there's a section of land here, and then there's a deep valley, and then there's another section, a deep valley, and then there's a, in the south. There's, and it's really easy it's really easy for foreigners to come into those valleys and, and take over different sections or, whatever, or try to fight against the Israelites. And so, so there, there's maybe a judge in the south. I think Samson was in the south. Like, wasn't, yeah, they get the thumbs up from the seminarian. And so um, Samson delivered the people, the Israelites in the south, not the whole country of Israel, just the ones in the south. Gideon was in the north. Delivered them from the Midianites, I think, in the north, or Moabites, I forget. That wasn't in my notes either. And so, so you, have, you have all these judges, and they're actually, all these little um, saviors or deliverers in the book of Judges are actually, some of them are living at the same time and delivering uh, different tribes at the same time and providing peace, you know, at the same time. They're, they you know, there's an overlap. And you have the story of a nation, a family, but it's a nation, the family of Israel. And then we come to the book of, of Ruth, and it's the story of, of a family 
but it's a smaller family. It's, it's the micro family. We have the macro family, the, the nation of Israel. And then we have the story of, of an individual family. And they're in a time, they are in a time of, of peace um, with Moab. Uh, but there comes a famine in the land. And um, I couldn't help but think, all right, a famine. We heard that before back in Genesis when there's a famine. God's people were in, Israel, or were, you know, in the Canaan land you know, before. And there was a great famine and they had to go over to Egypt to survive, to buy food. And then you know, Joseph ends up over there, brings the whole family. Joseph delivers, saves his family. And they're there for like 400 years. And then God calls them out of that place through um, Moses, the deliverer Moses. And, and then Joshua, uh, then now they're in the promised land. And now there's another famine. And this family doesn't think that they can survive. So they're looking for other options to provide for themselves. And so, by the way, have you done that before? When something gets really difficult. I'm not saying, I'm not, I'm not saying that to, to judge you because I've done that lots of times. When we have a difficulty in your life and we're always tempted to think, okay, now how can I fix that? How can I provide for that? How can I intercede for myself here and interject myself into fixing this situation before we ever run to God to say, God, <laughs> Here's a situation that I can't handle. It surprised me. It didn't surprise you, but man, there it is. I've got this great need right in front of me, and you promised to be Father to provide everything I need. And so I'm going to give you that chance before I do anything. And you just wait in his presence. I mean, I get it. It's human nature. We've got an issue. I'm hungry. I've got to protect or got to provide for my family, so I'm going to just go out and make it happen. Without ever relying on the Father who said, I want to provide for you. I intend to provide for you. It is my purpose and my plan to meet all of your needs. Okay? And so here's the guy, though. And we're not really told a lot about it. But he decides to up and move his family over to Moab. It's a peaceful time, so they weren't going to get persecuted or anything. And so, it was risky, a little bit, only that the Moabites were enemies. I mean, they didn't like, even though it was peace, they're not fighting, they're not armies fighting, but there was animosity. They don't like each other. Israel can't stand Moab. I mean, Moab came into existence... Through a, it's a unique way, right? Look back at, at um, Abraham's nephew, Lot, uh, after the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Him, Lot, and his two daughters are able to escape. And the daughters justify in their minds, um, we have to preserve our father's line. So instead of... God, would you preserve Father's line? All right. They said, we're going we're gonna to do this. We're going to get him drunk. We're going to sleep in. One of those 
this incestuous relationship from both daughters, one of those children resulted in Moab, and the descendants of Moab are the Moabites, right? And, and so, and, and there's this tension between the Israelites and, and Moabites throughout their history. The Moabites uh, were godless. Um, they were... Um, they worshipped a God that, that demanded child sacrifice. And let me tell you, it was horrible. Oh, my goodness. Those, those priests demanded child sacrifice. They played drums at the temple there, really loudly, by the way, so you couldn't hear the screams and cries. It was evil. And Israel, they, they hated the Moabites for that. They were ungodly, um, and they, wanted, they, they just if, if it was up to them, they would just wipe them out. So that's the context. This family, in order to, to survive, um, they go to Moab, and uh, they, they live there for a while, but then tragedy uh, strikes the family. The, father, the husband dies, and Naomi, the wife, is left with her two sons who had married Moabite women at this point, and so she had two daughter-in-laws. And so Naomi uh, continued to live there for 10 years, and then her two sons passed away. So now Naomi is left with two daughters-in-law, three women who are widows in a culture that is not compassionate toward single widows, right? I mean, they're just not compassionate. They're going to have to make a decision what they're going to do to survive. Naomi decides it's going to be better if I go back to my family. I've heard, by the way, that God is blessing them again, and they've got big crops, and so I'll just go back to my family. They'll, someone surely will help me survive and take care of me. And they start the journey back, and halfway there, she, she says, you know what, um, daughters, uh, I don't expect you to go with me back to Israel. It, I don't really know, after all these years, how you'll be welcome. Maybe you should just go back to your own families and marry another man who will provide for you. And one of the, uh, the girls, um, though I'm sure it was hard to say, I'm going to go back to Moab, back to my family too. Um, she did. She just went back. And then you have this young girl named uh, Ruth um, who, who says, you know what? I'm going to stick with you. I think it's really cool that uh, I know we give Naomi a bad rap because she's, got, she's going back to Israel and her family. And she even changes her name right here to Mara, which means bitter. Because God, because she actually says God, her perspective is God has made my life miserable, bitter. He's taken away all these things that I know and love. And, and so because my life is bitter, because he's made my life bitter, I'm just going to be known by that. I'm going to change my name to, to bitterness. Well, somewhere in those 10 years... Even though she has that attitude at that point, the 10 years prior, there's something happening at least in Naomi 
that inspires Ruth to take another look at Naomi and her belief in God, the one true living God. And her, I mean, there's, there's something that inspires her to, stay, to say, you know what? I'm going with you. You know what I'm saying? I was thinking about that. I'm like, I, I wonder how well I am doing, Brian Schubert, in good, bad times, right? And people around me, is my life inspirational for people around me to say, you know what, no matter what happens, even in my life, I'm going to go with you. I'm going to believe in what you believe. I'm going to serve the same God that you serve. I think that's a question we should ask. You know what I'm saying? Um, I, I, anyway, so Ruth goes back with Naomi to her, to her people, to her family, and Naomi Shows up, she says, no, 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 it's me, but my name's Mara, I'm bitter, God has done all these things. And so she ends, the two women end up there, and uh, you can see in chapter 2 that um, in order to survive, they're going to need some food. So Naomi sends Ruth out to, to, to go uh, collect grain. Uh, part of the, the, uh, the Old Testament law provides that um, you're compassionate to the poor and the needy and the hungry and the widows and orphans and foreigners, immigrants. I mean, this is a part of, this is written in, God is giving this compassionate law to his people to be kind to people who are less fortunate, who are in great need. And so he, he commands the people, leave a little bit in your fields for, for those people to come and glean, to pick up what you drop so that they can have some kind of food. Leave it. Don't take it all. Be compassionate. Leave some for those who are needy. And so that was the culture. And so Naomi knew this. She said, Ruth, go and glean some of the, the grain in the field. It just so happens that Naomi shows up at the field of a guy named Boaz. Now, it just so happens, right? And it just so happens that Boaz shows up at the very same time that Ruth is there. Just so happens, right? Do you remember earlier I said that God is in control of history? <laughs> and he's, doing, he's putting all the parts together. And this thing is moving in a direction he wants it to go in, right? He's putting the pieces together. You know what I'm saying? So we have a just so happen and a just so happen back to back. Guys, things don't just happen. I mean, I know there's maybe some silly coincidences once in a while. But let me tell you, God is sovereign and he is over all things. And he's moving in their lives to do something that we're going to find out what happens in chapter 4. But he's moving. He's setting the pieces together. You think that your life is crazy? Right? You think your life's crazy? It's a part of what God is doing to shape you, to shape a situation for his glory. He's going to produce something here in chapter 4. He's going to produce something in your life that's going to bring glory to him. And it's going to bring salvation in the end for somebody, for something. It's going to bring goodness. 
I can't wait to get there. I'm going to jump to four if, I don't be patient. if I'm not patient. I got, I, got to, I got to get back on chapter two. So here it just so happens. Yeah, right. God put those people there. God put those people there, right? Ruth's there. Boaz is there. He's going around saying, hey, guys, thank you all to all the workers. Thank you guys so much. And whoa. He goes to his foreman like, man, who is that? Who does she belong to? Hot stuff. I got my sons in here. I got to watch what I say. <laughs> Hot stuff. Who does she belong to? Mm. He's asking all sorts of questions about her. And he says, yeah, this is, uh, this is Naomi's daughter-in-law, the Moabite girl. And he's like, oh, I know his story already. Because Boaz and Naomi are in the same family. They're related. So he's like, he heard the story. He's like, yeah, oh yeah, that's like aunt, aunt, some sort of whatever, Naomi. Yeah, that's right. Cousin, third removed, whatever. They're in the same family. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And, uh, but, you know, it's just far enough away. You know, back then, actually, you could marry a sister, maybe, or a cousin or something like that. You know, today we don't do well in eastern Kentucky, maybe. No, I'm just teasing. I'm totally joking. I lived there five years, and I, there were some questions, questions I asked. Uh, but anyway, um, so <laughs> anyway, I'm teasing for those of you who are watching in eastern Kentucky. Um, so, um, oh my goodness. So he's like, man, who does she belong to? Oh, she's, a, she's Naomi's? Yeah. Family, okay, check mark. And um, he goes over to Ruth and says, hey, bless you. May the Lord bless you. You are welcome here. You are welcome, so welcome here every day. I want you at my field every day. And I don't want you in the back of the line. I want you to come on up here to the front of the line. You help yourself to whatever you want. You pick up as much grain as you need. I'm taking care of you, right? That's like dating, you know? You always put your best foot forward in dating. You know what I'm saying? In chapter 3, we see that, you know, Ruth goes and uncovers his feet, you know? And, uh, and that's not, you know, that's right. You know what I'm saying? She's getting to see Boaz, Boaz, you know, you know? You know what I'm saying? You know, grain, that's... Like, hey, hey, baby, I'm going to take you out to the best restaurant. You can wear the nice clothes. You know, she can only see the outside, every, all the good stuff you're doing for her. You know, the things you say is kind of making her heart melt, you know, all this stuff. And she's like, oh, man, this is my man. Mm. And, you know, and, and, but it's like this is the first date. Like, it's, you don't even know that person. They're, they can be putting on a show. I, I know. Um, and so... But chapter 3, the feet, when she uncovers the feet and she still is committed, wow, that is true love. True love in chapter 3, let me tell you. All right, we're getting there. We're getting to the true love part. 
So he's like, I'm going to bless you. The Lord is going to bless you, and I'm going to bless you. You can have all that you need. Hey, at lunch break, you come over to the table, my table, and help yourself to whatever you want off of the table. Okay? And he goes and tells all of his employees, like, don't touch her. Don't stop her from helping herself. I don't care if she's a Moabite. I don't care what you think. This is my land. This is my operation. I can choose to give grace and love and mercy and compassion if I want to. Don't touch her. I'm, she's under my protection. She's allowed. She's welcome. So, man, this is really cool. Ruth gathers it all up, all the grain she can handle. Then she goes to the threshing floor. They, they, uh, man, they just kind of grind that chaff off of those in the, um, the seeds and uh, they, they throw it up in the air and the wind blows the chaff and all the seeds come back down and she piles this up into a bushel bag or barrel thing, whatever, basket or whatever. And, and I'm like, this thing is heavy. And she just picks it up, up like nobody. You know, she's like, I mean, I used to carry 100 pound bag of potatoes at KNBC from the big truck into that walk-in cooler. That was crazy, craziness. I don't know if you, if you ever did that. You did that? That was, for me, I mean, I was a little guy back then. Still little, but I was an even tinier back then. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. I'm trying not, you try to still act buff, but you're like, <gasps> you know, so like 100 bags, 100 pounds, you know. And, and like Ruth, she just picks this up like nothing, you know. It's like she carries it from the field, from the farm country, all the way back into town. I just, I don't think I could do that. <laughs> I mean, I know they're in better condition back then physically, but I just don't think I could do that. Carry it from here to downtown Lexington. You know what I'm saying? Something that weighed about a hundred pounds. I don't think I could do that. Could you? Well, you could, Chuck. I know you could. You're pretty bad. Anthony definitely could, you know. Right. So um, <laughs> that's what he looked like on his first date, you know. Like, yeah, is that right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so she goes back home to Naomi, and Naomi can't believe it because Naomi thought, okay, she's going to come back with a little bit of grain. She comes back with this huge thing. She's like, oh, what? Where did you go? today. Where did you go get all that grain today? She said, well, I, I, I was at the field of, of a guy named Boaz. And immediately Naomi recognizes the name Boaz. She's like filled with anticipation, or filled with, with the hope. She's like, that is one of our family redeemers. What's that? Well, you kind of have to understand what the year of Jubilee is in the Old Testament law to understand kinsman redeemer. So like every seven years, there's a, a sabbatical year, but then seven sets of seven, 49 years, right? You're, every sabbatical year, you're supposed to leave your, your fields fallow. But on the 50th year, they called it a Jubilee year. Right? And any time during that 49 years, if your family got, went through hardship or whatever, you could sell yourself into um, servanthood. Some Bibles will call it slavery, but our definition of slavery 
is a little different than what this definition of slavery is here. But it'd be like a bond servant. Like you have to, you're, you're serving. You're, you're serving. You belong to that person until, when you, until your debts are paid, then you're free, right? So you could sell yourself into that kind of servant uh, position. Or, or you have to sell your property or, 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 or your assets. You know, you have to sell that stuff off in order to pay debts. So someone else would, be, would, would own your property if, if you came into a, a hard time. But God was the one who gave the property to the different tribes. And he allotted it to the different families. And he expected that everyone gets a share which, by the way, that is so good of our God that everybody gets a share. No one's left out. By the way, in God's economy, in God's kingdom, nobody's left out. God is a giving God, and he makes sure that everyone gets a share. Amen? Everybody gets peace. He's not leaving. No one's forgotten. No one's forgotten in the kingdom. Everybody gets a piece of it. But in that 49 years, if you're family and you have to sell and all this and, and then, you know, that's the thing that God gave you and now you don't, you don't own it. Well, God says, okay, in the 50th year, all debts forgiven. All property reverts back to the original owner, the original family. That's good news because it's hope that's weaved in. Right? I can endure this for a period of time, and then I know that God is going to restore it to me. Isn't that cool? It might be taken, something might be taken from you for a period of time, and God intends to restore, right? I mean, that's how God works. Now, I'm not talking about sinful things. I mean, God's not going to give you back sinful things. But I'm just talking about like good things, like, you know? Like, so, so God gives, provides for all. And whatever happens, whatever choices happen, whatever life brings your way, whatever happens, you know there's a guarantee that there's going to be a restoration, a guarantee, a guaranteed restoration. So that God is giving a new beginning, a new chance a a, a, a a just a whole new fresh start to your family that's good that's really good news I mean that's what God instituted that's God's heart God is a God of restoration and new beginnings and so what happens if some people in the family die, like there's no son on the, in the year of Jubilee to reclaim or to re, have the land restored. Well, that happened. Well, God knows. And so he says, okay, well, here's how I'm going to handle that. The husband dies. And his brother has to marry the widow. His sister-in-law. Now, I know that doesn't make sense to us because it's a different world, right? It's a different context. It's a different culture. But it, it, what you have to see here is God is saying, I want you to marry her 
so that she's provided for, but so that you will give her a son so that the son can continue the family line, the family name, and have the capability of having that land restored to that family name, right? So here's, don't look at it as, oh man, he's all, this old, this, the second brother is already married, got a family, now he's got to marry this, his brother's wife, ooh. Don't look at it like that, look at it like God is taking care of the widow, right? And he's providing for that family line. He has not forgotten. He is so faithful that he's going to make sure he provides for that family. And this is the way to do that. He said, you're going to show compassion to your brother. You'll marry her and give her a son. You'll provide for her and the son will get the property on the day, in the year of Jubilee. All debts forgiven. All that was lost, restored. Oh, man, that is so good. That is so good. She said, well, uh, Naomi, um, she said, Boaz is our family redeemer. He is a very close relative who has the, the, the choice of redeeming you. In our family line. So she's getting lots of hope in her. She's like, now she's trying to try to plot and think about how she's going to be able to put boy and girl together, matchmaking, you know, mother-in-law matchmaker. Isn't that crazy? This is Naomi. She's turned into matchmaker. She's like, okay, I want you to go. <clears throat> Ruth, you're going back tomorrow to Boaz's field. You're going to take a bath? You had to tell her to take a bath. Well, sometimes you have to tell people to take a bath. Take a bath? You've been working out in the field, you're going to stink, right? Take a bath. Put on some of that nice, sweet-smelling ointment. Mm. Come on. First date stuff, right? Put it on. Put your hair, whatever. Wear your best clothes. You're going back, and you're going to see Boaz. Mmm. So Ruth went back, worked, and that, uh, that evening, here's this cultural thing we don't quite understand. She goes where the men are, are resting. She goes and, and shows up and uncovers. You're not technically in that culture, the woman is not allowed to just come out verbally and just say, hey, will you marry me? I mean, that's just not the way, you, that, that, that's not allowed in that culture. She can, although, let her intentions be made known. Through a very strange, <laughs> very strange way. She shows up. It's getting dark. It's dark, right? She, the guy's going to lay down to, to rest. And she goes and she uncovers Boaz's feet. And uh, then she just lays there. Waiting. She just lays there waiting until his feet got cold enough for him to wake up and realize, I gotta cover up my feet. Then Boaz woke up and realized Ruth is, is right there, and he knows, obviously, that's the. And he's like, oh. 
and he knows. Ah, aha. And he blesses her again. She says, wow, I can't believe what's going on. I can't believe my eyes, this young, beautiful girl. Because Boaz isn't young, you know. He's a little older, right? He's a little older. I mean, he's not like an old, old man. I see you do that. So it's like Mike. I saw that, Mike. It's like Mike, all right? Actually, it's like you, the two of you. You're Ruth and you're Boaz. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> Did you uncover his feet? Is it? <laughs> no, don't answer that, please. Um, so she, he's like, bless you. I mean, you could have chosen any of the younger, younger men. You could have chosen any of the younger men, but you've chosen me. Well, I, I just can't even believe it. And uh, she says, well, yeah, I, would you redeem us? And he's like, there's only one other person that's closer in relationship than I am to you, and he has the right to redeem. So let me check with him first, and I'm checking tomorrow morning. Tomorrow morning. It's now first on my to-do list. So, hey, take some grain. Uh, get out of here before anybody sees you, okay? Get out of here. Go home. Uh, and then t the next day, uh, Boaz shows up. Oh, my goodness. Shows up where you would make official um, financial transactions, official, uh, um, sit there at the, the gate of the city and, and, tell, and waited until and, and, and this uh, closer relative walked by and he said, hey, I'm talking to you. I can come here. You have an opportunity to redeem Naomi and the, and the property. She's selling the land. You have an opportunity to redeem, and it's yours. If you don't want it, you can decline it, and I'm going to. So he said, yeah, I'll redeem it. Yeah, I'll, take the, I'll buy the land. He said, but, but it comes with catch. You have to marry Ruth, the Moabite girl. And, uh, and he's like, man, I can't marry her. That will totally jeopardize my own estate, you know? Uh, so he's like, no, I'm, I, I'm not going to do it. You, you do it. And Boaz is like, okay, um, here it is. I'm going to redeem Naomi's property, and I'm going to marry Ruth. And they get married, and they have a baby. And Naomi's happy, joy restored. And they live happily ever after. Hey, man, you're dismissed. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> See, a redeemer, in order to be a redeemer, you had to have the right to redeem. Okay? Not just anybody is allowed to redeem. It didn't matter how much you wanted that property, you were not allowed to buy it unless you were a family member, unless you were connected, unless you, you had to have the right to redeem, right? It doesn't matter how beautiful you think Ruth is, you have to have the right to redeem. Well, think about this, because this is in the context also of Jesus being our redeemer, okay? Okay, so to be a redeemer, a kinsman redeemer, you have to have the right to redeem, and you have to be a near kinsman, a closely, a close relative you had, in order to be a kinsman redeemer, you had to have 
the resources to redeem. You might want the property. You might be close relative. You might be the closest relative. And, but if you didn't have the resources to purchase the property, it wasn't going to you. Right? You're not going to own that. It will never belong to you because you don't have the resources to purchase it. Right? In order to be a kinsman redeemer, you had to have the resolve to redeem. I mean, you could turn it down. A close, the closest relative wasn't obliged if there was the next one in line waiting and, you know. So you had to have the right, the resources, and the resolve to redeem. And Boaz has all of those. And redemption absolutely changes everything. Uh, Boaz, um, or the kinsman redeemer, was responsible for protecting the interests of needy members of the extended family. He was uh, responsible to provide for an uh, provide an heir for a brother who had died. Um, he was to redeem the land that a poor relative had sold outside the family, to redeem a relative who had been sold into slavery, and. Actually, you may not know this, a, a kinsman redeemer was also responsible to avenge the killing of a relative. I don't know if you knew that one. That's in the Bible. Yeah. So Boaz has taken this responsibility serious, and he wants to uh, show loyalty to Ruth, who has shown so much loyalty to Naomi and her family. She didn't have to, she could, go, she could have gone back to Moab and been with her family. She would have received comfort. She would have received provision. She would have received the protection she needed from her mom and dad and her brothers, right, back in Moab. But she decided to, to take the treacherous road and stick with Naomi as two widows going back to Israel with, with no way of knowing if their needs would be provided. If, I mean... That's loyalty. You know what I'm saying? Through thick and thin, through better for worse. And that is why so often, I mean, we hear the words of Ruth in chapter 1 used in, in, uh, in wedding ceremonies. Ruth says, hey, don't urge me to leave you. Or to turn your back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I'll stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. And may the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. I'd say that's the definition of loyalty on Ruth's part. So Boaz, because of Ruth's loyalty to her mother-in-law, Boaz is, is, is showing loyalty to Ruth. I know you're a Moabite. I don't have to show you kindness and compassion, but I am going to be so loyal to you. I'm going to com have compassion and loyalty toward you. I'm not going to let anyone touch you. I'm protecting you. I'm going to provide everything you need, and I'm going to give you a son for your, your husband that passed away, 
so that he will redeem this land. He will own this land someday. That is, that is, uh, that is loyalty and love. Um, you think about Naomi's life. You get a difficult situation with a famine that causes you to have to move. No one likes moving from one house to another. It's difficult. It's very difficult. Let me tell you, I have had to move so many times. It's hard to be uprooted, to leave your family, to leave your friends, to have to go to a place that's foreign. You don't know anyone there. That's difficult enough. And then after all of that, your beloved husband dies, the one who provides for you. If that wasn't enough, your two sons pass away and you're left with a group of three widows who have to, to try to provide for them or figure out what in the world you're gonna, they're going to do. I mean, this just keeps getting worse and worse and worse for Naomi. No wonder she, her attitude has changed toward God has made my life so difficult. I can barely bear it. So I'm going to change the name that was given to me and call myself bitterness. Look at your life. I don't know if you've had someone to pass away, someone, some close relative. Maybe you're struggling with some very difficult situation. Maybe you need to move. Maybe you've got financial situation. There's some kind of loss in your life. There's some sort of um, challenge in your life. Someone is not being very nice toward you. Someone's taking advantage of you. At work, someone's talking about you behind your back. Someone is smearing you. Those are hard things. Men, you don't know how to provide for your families because of this situation, whatever it is, different situations, but you don't know how you're going to provide for your family because you feel like that that is what God wants you to do is provide for your family. And so you're like, make a, you're at the crossroads here. Am I going to, to pray and say, God, I believe that you are going to be father. You've declared that over me, that you are my father, and I'm going to trust you with all of my heart, all of my mind and understanding. I'm trusting in you. I don't know how you're going to provide it, Lord, but I'm going to just trust you to provide for everything that I need right now for today and for this week and this month and this year. I don't know where it's coming from. I don't know where the provision's coming from, but I'm trusting you for that. Or you can say, you know, I love God. God, he's my dad. He's my savior. He's my Lord. I'm, I'm following him. And God, thank you for saving me. But I really got to go provide for my family right now. I'm taking this job. Or I'm taking two jobs. Or I'm going to take the third job. I'm going to do whatever it takes, God, 
to make sure that the bills are paid. And whatever time I've left over, then I'll say, thank you for the job. I'm not trying to slap on guys who are working. But, you know, sometimes we can be self-sufficient to the point where we've not left any room for God to provide for us. Right? I mean, we're acting, we act like God. We act like we're the Heavenly Father because we're, Father is provider. Right? He's provider. I'm the son. I don't have to try to make things happen. But it's hard to wait in his presence for the answer. I get it. I know better than most of you. I've had to test God in that. 2005, Heather and I load our cars up as much as we could pack in from the apartment. We're going to meet a couple families to go to Pensacola, Florida because there's a Category 5 hurricane that's heading toward the beaches of Mississippi. I live in the front apartment on the beach. I have beach view on my, from my back porch. And all my life, I knew up here God was my father. But I struggled with it because of, honestly, and, and I would have said this whether my family was here or not, I, I struggled with this because of my relationship with my own dad. It was not good. I kind of like knew him as dad in name only, to be, to be honest. And I knew the Heavenly Father in name only. I didn't believe that he'd really protect. I knew it up here. I read it. He tells his people, his servants, he provides and protects but he protects for them. He protects for other people and groups. We get on Interstate 10, it's stop and go. We're like, we're not running out of gas on the interstate during a Category 5. We go back to this house in Moss Point with two other families. We reparked the cars three times to higher ground. We put sandbags in front of the front door, which is so funny because the water came up to the second floor. We pulled in everything that we could from the downstairs because we didn't know what was going to happen. We pulled in people and animals in from the neighborhood that probably would have died. And we thought we were going to die because we have waves hitting the house. 
We have big trees that take Chuck and I to hug, falling down, snapping all around us. We didn't know. I mean, the part of me, I know, for me, it was like, a, like, I can't believe this is so awesome because I'm in a hurricane. I've never been in a hurricane. <laughs> and then I was like, I'm in a hurricane. I find this little child's guitar, and I tuned it up and said, man, if I'm going to die today, I'm going to die singing God's praises. I started, I just sang the first song that came to me, How Great Is Our God. It was a new song back then. I had just seen Chris Tomlin two days before that, and he looked at me really weird as he signed the CD, and he gave it to me, he's like, I'm like, Okay, thanks. I mean, you looked at me really weird. Anyway, I had, I had that song in my mind, and I just sang. And we lost cell phone signal. Our families didn't know if we were alive or dead. And we waited. We prayed, and we waited. And God clearly, in the middle of the storm, spoke to me and said, you know, all your life, you've wanted to know here that I was your father. You've wanted to rest in me, to know that I would protect you. I would fight for you. I would provide for you everything that you needed. But you've not done that. I know, and I understand why, but you've never done that. You've never trusted me fully he said, now would be a good time. And I said, will you really protect me? I mean, we're right here in the middle of it. We got 120 mile an hour winds knocking at the door. This house could go at any moment. Can you protect us? all my Bible college and seminary, and I'm asking God, can you protect us? He said, yes. And I'll do much more than that if you, if you fully trust in me as a father. I'll be the best dad you've ever had, that you've ever known. I'm never going to leave you I said, okay. I want you to protect me right now. We're about to die. And the storm, the eye, I remember that eye of the storm went over. And it was so calm. It was weird. And then it kicked up again. And a helicopter flew over. We're like, Shining lights, a Coast Guard, orange and white helicopter, like, I'm getting airlifted. It's going to be so awesome. And then it left. I'm like, oh, Coast Guard. Sorry if you're in the Coast Guard. Actually, what they were doing is they were getting us help. And I didn't know it. 
It wasn't the glorious help that we thought when the, the largest National Guard dump truck came down the road <laughs> and threw us into the back. Uh, it was not glorious, but it was rescue. And the Lord spared our lives. And we made our way through different people. They helped us get up to uh, Kentucky, Shelbyville, Kentucky, where my in-laws lived. Because we needed to let them know we were alive. And that we were okay. And I wanted to get back down to the coast of Mississippi to my people. And I, I said, God, you protected me. Thank you for that. But Father, you said that you would provide everything that I needed. And I'm just going to tell you, I need two vehicles for Heather and I and food and gas money to get back down to the coast. I don't have it. We lost everything. The whole building that we lived in was gone. Everything was gone. Everything was gone. We're homeless. We don't have any money. And a guy in Frankfurt called me and said, come over here. Get there. He said, I want to, the Lord just told me to give you my Ford Explorer. And he signed the title over to me and handed it to me right there. I mean, that thing was an Eddie Bauer. I had never sat on leather in my life. Um, there was a, a button on that that even filled up air pockets next to your thighs. And it was, I pushed it and it was like, oh my goodness. My car is hugging me. I mean, it was weird. Like, it was weird. Like, I've never had anything like this in my life. Um, and I say, God, I need another vehicle and food and gas money to get back. And a guy uh, said, hey, I've I got to have 1500 cash. Here's the deal. It was a good deal. Uh, and I said, I don't have any money. 90% of the state is no electricity. I, I just don't, I don't, I can't, I don't have anything. He said, well, let me know by this date. And on that day, I got a check in the mail from FEMA for $2,000. It had my name on it, and yet it had my in-law's address on it. And I went to a local Shelbyville bank, and I said, can I cash this? They said, no. Oh, it's against our policy. We talked for a while. I'm like, I know it's against your policy, but would you go back and talk to your manager about it? They're going to say no. It's just not worth our time. It's our policy. But I want you to go back and talk to your manager just this once and just see what they say. And she came back with 20 Ben Franks. And I, gave, I called that guy up and gave him 1500 And God gave me $500 for gas and food money to get back down the coast. And I stayed wherever we could stay. We slept on floors. <laughs> we slept wherever we could find. For 10 months, we slept weird places. Seven places in 10 months. Um, and God provided everything. All of a sudden, people that didn't know us, and we didn't know them all over the country, began to send us things that were exactly our size, exactly what we needed. This church in Kansas sent us Coats for winter that were exactly our size. Church in York, Pennsylvania flew down 
And they handed my wife a brand new laptop so she could, to replace the one we lost so she could finish her graduate degree. Another church gave several hundred dollars to replace books for her. And church in Washington sent a love offering. Church in Florida sent a love offering. Churches in Ark, I could name about 30 states where all the gifts came from. People we didn't even know. I made a commitment to not go around and tell people that I needed help. I said, God, I'm going to put you to the test. I'm only going to tell you what I need. I didn't ask one human being if I could have something. And there, there was gifts from all over the country that came into us. A church in Chico, California did a fundraiser and they bought us a used 28-foot travel trailer, put new tires on it, filled it with food and clothes and water and tools. And, and uh, they drove it and by then our Nazarene church on the coast had been turned into a Nazarene disaster relief center to serve a New Orleans to Mobile, Alabama. And there were 16 travel trailer hookups that they put in. And they came and got me from inside the church and they said, come on out here. They signed the title over to me. They gave me a little place to live. Like, I, what? How good is God? I could tell you many, many other stories of severe difficulty in our ministry. And when it seemed like all hope was lost, God gave the blessing of a child. Never could have raised that money on our own. We went back down and obeyed God. We went back down to Mississippi because I'd left for a while because of difficulty. And God gave us a group of people that fought for us. And we brought that little boy home from Taiwan. Never could have done that. Abby, we're looking at you. Can you just wave? Oh, you're Okay. A lot of other difficulty I could describe to you. Oh man, it's been hard. And I was ready to quit ministry three or four different times and go back to school and become a dentist and go to the mission field because I'd gotten so sick and tired of difficult difficulty in the church. My heart was, was broken. And it felt like I was just getting the brunt of every bad decision, every carnal decision, every sinful decision people would make. And it hurt. It hurt. And I was like, I'm done with this. I'm done with it. And God said, no, you're not. My strength, my strength is in you. It's going to flow through you. And you'll be able to stand. You'll be able to make it. He turned it around every single time and redeemed the situation and made me new and gave me children every single time. He set the stage and gave me a gift of kids every time. In Washington, I got two more kids from China. Get another son next month from Washington State. And it brought joy to my heart. Um, man, sharing way too long. I'm so sorry. 
I understand a little bit of what Naomi went through and why it's so tempting to say, yeah, I'm changing my name, bitterness, because it's hard. God must have left me. God must not love me. God must not care. God is here, but not here. Father is here, yeah, he's the God of our ancestors, but he's not father to me today in this moment. And yet, I got to tell you something. Hey, God is sovereign, and the things that he is working out is going to blow your socks off, man. It's going to be incredible. God often ordains sorrowful tragedy to set the stage for surprising triumph in the moments when God may seem the farthest from you he may actually be setting the stage for the greatest displays of his faithfulness to you and in your suffering God may actually be plotting for your satisfaction. God's at work in you. It's all part of a bigger thing that he's really doing. It's not insignificant. And it's on purpose, by design, and what we do is trust Father every step of the way. And he's working. He has to have people willing to go through difficulty so he can display his faithfulness and power and beauty and holiness to others who need to see it. You know what I'm saying? Think about this. The famine brought Ruth to the family. If there wasn't that famine, Ruth would have still been left in Moab. All those family deaths brought Ruth to Naomi. Ruth loved her husband. Husband's gone. Ruth loved Naomi. Right? And her God. The financial distress and the lack of security brought Naomi to Israel. Ruth's provision for Naomi brought Ruth to Boaz. And all that brought redemption and joy and a place in the lineage of King David and then eventually King Jesus because this little baby that was born, Ruth and Boaz, their little baby... Ends up being the great grandpa of King David. Or the grandpa of King David. The great grandpa? I forget how many. It's like one, two, three, four, it's either, <laughs> whatever. Oh man. How in the world does a Moabite girl end up in the lineage? Of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Because she wasn't looking at all the difficulty. She was like, 
something in somewhere, God was so attractive to this girl, this Moabite girl, this God is very different than my God back here. This God is doing things for his people like no other. I'm following that God. Even when it seems like somehow she was able to see beyond today, even when it seemed that God or the difficulty was all around that God wasn't working in that moment, she believed and committed herself to that God who revealed himself as faithful, and she believed what he said. And she gets to be honored with being the great, 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 whatever, great grandmother of Jesus. That's incredible. So look at it. I know you have difficulty. I know you're questioning. Is God there? Does God love me? How's how's God going to get me out of this? Why did God allow this thing? I, I know because I've worked with people... 20 years across the country, and teen, a lot, most of them teenagers, a lot of adults, and they're the same questions, and they're the same questions I've had. I'm here to ta- today to tell you that God is a God who is there in the midst of difficulty, and his purpose is to shine and to redeem and to restore things in your life that you thought were unredeemable. You know what I'm saying? And he's going to just pour out joy into your life when he allows you the day to put two and two together. Oh, that's why. Oh, wow. You were doing that all along. Okay. I'm sorry I didn't trust you. Oh, I'm sorry for that bad attitude that I had toward you because I thought you'd left. But he's working I want to encourage you guys today to run to the God. Run to the God. Who is allowing difficulty in your life to shape you and to shape a greater purpose through you. Who is including you in something incredible that he's going to put on display for this world to see. And it's going to shout his majesty. His faithfulness, His glory. I want to give you an opportunity this morning. Think about what I said. Listen to the Spirit's voice. Say, God, is is that me? Am I anywhere in that story? I trust in you. Have I trusted you fully as father? Like you're going to really provide and protect and, and you're going to never leave me? I mean, it, do I believe, do you believe that? I mean, I just want to give you a moment. You'd like me or Chuck or someone else to pray with you because today is the day that you want 
to say, God, I want to trust you fully as father. Today's a good day for that. It's the best day for that. If you'd like prayer for that, most of you, you probably would. I mean, most of you are saying, yeah, that's where I want to be, right? So there's nothing weird about standing up and saying, you know what? That's me. I'm coming down. I want you to pray for me, Pastor Brian. I want you to pray for me. Come on down. Would you guys all stand real quick? Stand real quick. I'm going to have some, some other. Chuck, come over here somewhere. Want to pick a place. A couple others who are on prayer team. Come on up. If you're like, okay, I can't leave this building. I can't leave this building wondering if I'm fully trusting God as my father. You know? And I just want to. I want somebody to pray with me about that. I want, I want to know that I'm trusting fully that he's my father. He's protecting, providing, he's always with me. It doesn't matter how big or little the situation you are. If you're in the midst of a situation of difficulty, of hurt, pain, right? You don't know how things are going to get worked out. And you want your brothers and sisters in Jesus, right, to pray with you and over you. Come on down. Like you need wisdom, you don't, or you need you need God's help in any kind of way, guys. Come on down. We got we just got people all over the front. We're gonna pray with you and for you today, okay? So if that's if that's you, just come on down. You got a situation? Come on down. I'm gonna. She's a good one. She's a good one. C- guys, come on down. Because I know you guys are struggling with stuff. I know things are in the air, up in the air for you. You don't know how things are going to settle. Because I talked to some of you. We just want to pray for you. Just come on down and let's pray together. Okay? Anthony, I'm going to have you. Can you pick something at least? Have a little music in the background. Amen. God loves you so much, and he is not leaving you alone. He is with you. He is working in your life. He's working the situation out that will bring you protection and provision. He's he's going to display his glory to lots of people as you trust him and follow him. So let him move for your life, right? Your name doesn't have to be bitter. Your name is not bitterness. Your name is joy. Because God's given you hope to see the end result is good and what he's working in you.